momentum of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's a new day for you, church. It's it's real, real privilege to be here today. Um, it's amazing this Yahweh, this God of the Old Testament. It's the same God of the New Testament, and He seeks friendship. Uh, I just, I just can't grasp that that God would actually want to be a friend of Graham Hall. I just can't fathom it. The one who created it all should want to actually just enjoy my company. Um, Yeah, he does. Um, He wants to be friends with humanity. Those who will respond back to him in, in repentance and he gives forgiveness. He desires that we, we should have a, a, a real relationship with him. Not just as a f- heavenly father and a son. But God should be my friend. And to that I'm really humbled. Um, in the Old Testament, um, I don't think we read enough of the Old Testament. Just as an aside. The Old Testament is just as good as the New Testament. It's all the Word of God. It's the same God. God's not schizophrenic. Right? It's not good, bad, good God, bad God, or bad God, good God. Like there's two cops that go into the films that Steve watches, you know, and send a, send a bad cop in first and a good cop comes in. It's not, the Old Testament, New Testament is not like that. God's good in the old, he's good in the new. But he's the same God. Um, who disciplines and loves and judges. But uh, in the Old Testament, there were were two or three people that that God, that comes to mind as I'm standing here, that God called and he just entered into a real precious friendship with them. I think of Abraham. We're going to focus on Abraham this morning. Um, But he was called the friend of God. I mean, what a title, friend of God. Then there's Moses who was... um, he spent so much time in God's presence. Uh, he was a friend of God. Um, it says in Psalm 103, verse 7, God made his ways known to Moses. Just think about that. That God should make his ways known to a man. And um, in Genesis 18, which is going to be the chapter we're going to be looking at um, this morning, in verse 17 um, when, if you recall that um, passage where God came and had a meal with Abraham, and uh, and he, he eats Abraham's food and uh, or Sarah's food, and uh, at the end of the meal, when he's walking away towards Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, uh, "Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do?" He asks himself that question, and uh, and the. The consequence of that is, no, I'm going to reveal to Abraham what I'm about to do because Abraham is my friend. And then we think of John 15, um, that wonderful passage where Jesus is with his friends before he was crucified. And uh, I'll just read it to you. Um, It's good to read some good portions of Scripture. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. See that, friends? You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. And there's a wonderful picture here of a potential relationship that individuals can have, but especially churches can have, where, where God enters into a friendship. A friendship. Wouldn't it be lovely if you, if you experience a sort of friendship with God as a church, because I think we've individualised Christianity too much, if I may say so. Right? We, community that God loves. But if, if you as a community of faith in Christ here, you could be, have that sort of relationship with Father where he sees you as a friend and treats you as a friend. That would be precious. Well, how do we know how God reveals his purpose to us? That's uh, the, the following question, isn't it? You know, I've revealed my will. I, I, will share with, I will share with Abraham what I intend to do. Well, we're blessed because God gives gifts to the church um, through because Jesus ascended into heaven. He, he gave gifts to men. Um, and those gifts are apostolic and prophetic, teaching, all these wonderful gifts. But some of these gifts give help churches to know what God's going to do. He says he reveals it to his prophets first. And it was God's intention, I believe, for you to be here. It was God's will for you. It was God's will for you to change the front of the Beacon Church and put the family centre on it. Um, because God revealed it in a prophetic picture which was shared with the leaders and they were weighed it and over a period of time they felt, yeah, God is in this. And as I drove by the Beacon Centre, I saw it and that's exactly the picture that was given. Exactly the picture. And we've had to contend for this school because we felt that was the, that we felt that was the right way, not because we'd had really nice cheese and onion sandwiches the night before we met and we discussed. But we believed because God was revealing his purpose to the church. Now that's wonderful. And I don't, what I'm saying to you this morning, I don't want you to ever take for granted when God reveals things to us in advance, what he's going to do. And when you're actually living in that reality, we ought to really be pleased with that. that and the microphone has fallen off. Um, we ought to be really pleased with that and, and delighted that God should enter into such a relationship with us, um, he makes his ways known to us, just like he did to Moses, just like he did to Abraham, and uh, just like how Jesus related to a trial. That's precious, isn't it? So, Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you that you're leading this church you're a friend of this church and you've been making your ways known to this church in advance of what you're going to do and now we, we're in the reality of those promises and we thank you for it, Lord. And today I pray for these dear friends 
that they may have a greater understanding of your ways, what you're about, and why they're here. And please help me, Lord. Amen. So Abraham was God's friend. In Isaiah 41, verse 8, um, there's reference to this, and it literally means loved one. Abraham was loved by God. And Jesus said um, in John 15 that uh, to the disciples, look, I I do not see you anymore as servants. And I tell you what, there are so many people in church think they just serve God. They do this, they do the rotors, do the creche, do every, it's serve, 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 serve a bit more. But Jesus said, no, no, I no longer do call you servants. I'm calling you friends. And when we move into that relationship with Christ, things are different. We do things differently. We do it differently. We, we, we have a different mindset developed. So it's not so much of a chore but a joy because we're serving him from a place of friendship because you'd do anything for your friends, wouldn't you? You do. You don't even think about it because they're my friends, so I just do it. And that's how it is with God. He, He wants to move us away from a servanthood mentality to a friendship mentality. And that makes the difficult demands of church life far more easy to bear because it's not easy building, seeing church built, is it? It's hard work because it's, it's a family, isn't it? You know, if those of you that have had the, um, the experience of family life, you will know that it's hard work. It's costly. How much does it cost to each raise a child now? It's depressing, isn't it? 300,000 pounds. So I, I was multiplying that by, because what you do as a parent, that's 600,000 pounds that's cost me. Um, Wow, you know, what could I be doing? You know, uh, what could I be driving around if I didn't have you? Um, no, we don't think like that, really. Well, what we're saying is, is that um, parenting is costly and, and a church is a family. And we look after one another from when the children are born in, babies are born in, right until um, family friends are in their old age. It's a family and we care for family. But that can be costly. And so knowing that we do this from a place of relationship which is rooted in friendship with God. It's precious. Absolutely precious. So, here's a thought worth pondering on. Can a church be a servant church or a church that has an intimate friendship with God? Just throw that out to you. Are you a servant church or are you a friendship church with God? Do you, are you co-workers with Christ or are you... This is slave labour. I'm on the rotor again. <laughs> Sorry, we, we do, you know, we started Gateway when we started it 11 years ago. We said, we never have rotors. I mean, what stupid was that? <laughs> that soon got thrown out the window. Um, but, if we, but it's possible to r- rotors to be life-giving if it's rooted in friendship with God. Let's look at Genesis chapter 18. You know, God looks at the heart. When he was um, in 1 Samuel 17, um, the Lord said to Samuel, I'm going into Genesis 18, I'm not, just, I'm not confusing you. He said, do not look on the appearance of the height of the statue because I rejected Saul, for the Lord sees 
not, not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And you can see some churches, right, everything, whistles and bells, might be very good in appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's the heart of a church that counts. It's the heart of a person that counts. Yeah, What's going on in the heart, not the outward exterior. And so, Jesus loved Bethany. Because he went there because there was heart relationship there. So when Lazarus, who was a brother of Martha, who lived in this little house in Bethany, when, he heard, um, when Jesus heard that Lazarus died, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why? Because Jesus is human. God now, there's a man God in heaven. Jesus took upon human form. Jesus knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it is to have arthritis. You're saying, Graham, how do you know that? Because he died on the cross and he became sin. He, became every, in, every, he knows what the pain is. What I'm saying is he knows what joint pain is like because he hung on the cross and he refused medication. Me, I popped the tablets. But Jesus understands. And so when, Jesus, when he heard Lazarus died, Jesus wept. Why? Because there's a heart relationship with Bethany. He cares about us. Keith Hazel, that dear prophet that um, many of you have met, is now with the Lord. He died last week. And precious is the death of the saints in God's sight. Precious. He's ran his course. But I want to talk to you about... God comes to dinner, okay? God comes to dinner. If you just imagine if God said to you today, I'm coming to your house for dinner, what would on earth you do? You'd be getting out of the best china, wouldn't you? Trying to find plates that match. <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? No, this house is a mess, please excuse. That's what you'd say, that's what we'd say. Um, okay, Genesis 1. Sorry, Genesis 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may... Wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get something for you to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to see your servant. See, a servant mentality. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried off into his tent to Sarah, a good delegator. Quick, he said, get three sieves of, I don't know what a seeth is, um, a fine flour, um, it's obviously a measurement, and knead it and make some, bake some bread. Then he ran to, this is guy, and he's, you know, he's, he's getting on now. He ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf, and he gave it to his servant. He, 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 was, he wanted to make sure he was going to bless the Lord. He, was gonna let, he wasn't going to delegate that out. He wanted to make sure God was honoured. And he hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds of milk and the calf that had been prepared and set them before them. While they ate, he stood under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent 
which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after, after I am worn out and my master is old, which, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did. <laughs> it reminds me of a pantomime we went to. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> when the men got up to leave, they looked down to so- towards Sodom and Adam, um, Abraham sorry, walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Then the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is grievous. That I, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Then, the, then men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Adam, uh, sorry, Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there were 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will, you not, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Now, I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will, will you destroy the whole city because of the, of the five people? If I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? God said, for the sake of, for the, the Lord said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may my Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. It's the only occasion in 1500 years, no sorry, um, the only occasion in the Old Testament where God actually eats with a human being. There are occasions, couple of occasions where people go to God and eat before him, like Moses, 
But this is the only occasion where God comes to supper. The only time. And the thing was that Abraham didn't clock it at first that it was God. It was the Lord. We believe it was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus called a theophany. I can't spell it, but I can say it. So, there's a Lord and two angels. And some people think it was the Holy Trinity. That wasn't the case. Um, If you read the whole story about the other two going down um, into um, Sodom and Gomorrah. But what stands out for me initially on this is Abraham's generosity. He, He chooses the best. Yeah, he goes and chooses the best. His generosity and his welcome and hospitality, it stand out in this. Now, I know there's a, a cultural thing in that, but it goes beyond it. There was a, a, cult, there was a, a recognition, something special is happening here. And I'm saying, church, be generous. Be generous. Be welcoming in this new context. Be hospitable to the people who are going to come to you. Because in doing so, you will reflect the, the heart of God. And I believe the Lord is attracted to generosity, welcome, welcoming and hospitable people. Because that's what he is. He chooses friends. The reverse traits of that would be miserly, unwelcoming and unfriendly. Right? So just be outrageously generous. Be outrageously welcoming and be outrageously friendly and this church will grow because you'll be, the love of the Father will be flowing through you as you do these things. No wonder God called him friend. You can see it in James 2 verse 23 um, if you're making notes. Now a penny drops when they're eating the meal and uh, then he perhaps he suspected that it was the Lord because he'd heard his voice before, but now he knew it. And uh, it reminds me of that time when the two disciples after the resurrection were walking back to Emmaus, just outside of Jerusalem, and they were yapping to one another. And this, the Lord draws alongside, the risen Lord draws alongside, and, and they, that they, can't, they can't work it out for toffees. They just, they're just totally ignorant that this is the Lord, because he's resurrection body. And actually, uh, I believe the Lord hid it from them. But they invited him home to share a meal. Can I say, will you do that? Be a church that invites people for meals. Not, if you're a married couple, don't just invite married couples. Invite single people. That's a, I'd love to preach on that, but I've not got time. But if we're going to... There's, there's more single people than ever now. Widows, widowers, single parents, single people... Um, one of the big problems of church is couples don't invite single people to supper. So if you're going to invite a married couple or friends, invite single people. Widower, widower, widow, widower, one parent family. Because God's a God of, um, he puts the lonely in families. We want to say we're a family church, don't we? Be careful how you articulate that. This is not a church for families. We're a family church. There's a huge difference. Yeah. Seniors are just as important as children, but children are important. Right? What children lack now are real godparents. <laughs> real godparents will pray for them, will love the kids, care for them. 
And I just want to say, I'm going to be throwing out one or two little hopeful nuggets to you. Um, keep taking communion as a church. Okay, elders, keep it because um, that's how we remember the Lord. Remember his coming back. He died for us. And uh, he reveals himself to us when we eat. I do believe there's a grace upon that uh, wonderful moment where we eat the bread and the wine. It's, uh, he draws close. And so keep gospel focused by eating bread and wine in remembrance of him. And as the meal concludes, the Lord pulls, himself, pulls him to one side and I, and I draw your attention to these verses in 17, 19. It says, for I have, I have known him or chosen him. The, well, the words are interchangeable, which is interesting. For I have chosen him or known him in order that he will instruct his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Now, to be honest, I have read that time and time, but I've never seen it. So, for I've known him and chosen him. Why? In order to, that he will instruct his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. In order that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. What, did Abraham, what was Abraham promised? He was promised by God that through you all the nations of the earth would be blessed and therefore... He's to instruct his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Can you see that? And I've never noticed that before. There's a linkage between the fulfilment of the promise for, for mission and drilling it right down and you're to instruct your children and household to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. There's an integrity that God was looking to maintain in Abraham and his family that could either hinder the promise or for help fulfil the promise. And the point is this, that God knew Abraham for a purpose. Not only that, the outworking of God's purpose to Abraham was intrinsically linked to how the children were instructed and how he led his household. Now, for elders, that's a big thing because in 1 Timothy 3, there's instructions that an elder must lead his household well and his children, he must have a good report outside the church and in the church because if you don't, it bites you in the end. Right? It bites you. Why? Because we are to build in our homes, individual homes, communities uh, of faith, and, and that people can see the gospel in action. On, I'm just on the side, it's a lovely story. I've been praying for, we've been praying for people in our close feet for five, six years. And after four years, I, I said to Sue, I'm giving up, it's not, it's not working. And she said, don't be such a big kid, carry on praying. So, uh, all right then. When God speaks through your wife so powerfully, it gets, I find that, you know, I have to have grace for that. And, uh, and I said, okay, so I carried on praying. And then our neighbour, he, um, he came along to an uh, evangelistic um, day we did, and um, he gives his life to the Lord. It's absolutely wonderful, absolutely wonderful. My dear friend, and we were friends first. And uh, he said, 
I'm not saying this to blow our own trumpet. I'm, I'm communicating a, a principle. He said, I was watching you. I was watching you and Sue. You're different. But it needed an invitation to come around for supper. That's what Jesus did. Come and see where I live. That's what Jesus said to the, the, um, James and John, was it? Or Andrew? I always, always get mixed up which one's invited in John chapter 2. But the principle is, come and see where I live. That's evangelism. That's building the kingdom. But what we, how we do life, whether it's elders and families or church, the church family, how we do life matters for fulfilment of the call of mission upon us. You got that? So teaching our children in righteousness, I don't know whether or not you are aware of it. If you're not, you've got your head down a rabbit hole. But things are changing out there in the world in which we are called to live. They're changing almost on a monthly basis now, particularly in the area of um, the internet and the challenges children face in our societies. I walked into this school today, my heart went out and said, oh God, keep these children safe. Because there is a that it's vicious out there what the enemy is unleashing. And my view, my, my observation is a number of families aren't even aware of it in the church. They've got children, not even aware of the dangers that children are now subjected to. Those of you that have seen um, Lord of the Rings, Helm's Deep, does any of that remember that bit? Helm's Deep, where... I almost feel it's like that at times because the enemy would seek to come in like a flood and uh, get through the doors and windows, through smartphones, computers, whatever. It's vicious out there. And, you know, for it's just happening. Um, how, how specific do I need to be? I'll be this specific. not even teenagers now there's young kids being given smartphones right girls being given smartphones there's kids at school it's fun it's a fun thing for lads to text girls say send me a naked picture of yourself it's out there it's happening are you aware of this it's called sexting and the girls looking for affirmation looking for looking for do you remember when you were a kid come on remember i remember when i was a kid i was desperate not to be the last person to be chosen when for a foot you know whether you get the two good footballers and they pick sides you were desperate not to be the last one to be picked right i'd almost do anything to be accepted it's that because kids worldview isn't formed their understanding of who they are um, boundaries isn't informed they just want to be accepted so if lads are saying send me a picture and it's happening. It's huge. And we need to protect our children from that. We need to um, put safeguards there. And at our church at Ashford, we are saying that every parent has got to have e-training. It's a part of our values. And if, if, you, if you're looking at me blank and you're a parent, I'm, I'm concerned for you. Yeah, Grandparents be aware of it because um, it's vicious.
And Abraham was, was, he was camped not far from Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's going to be a program tomorrow night um, on the telly, I think. Is it Channel 4? Um, there was an article in the press this week of, of um, there's a, 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 a lads magazine, you know, a lads magazine. It's okay if it's a lads magazine, but it's called Loaded. Have you ever heard of Loaded? Um, you most probably haven't, but there's, and it, 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 it's basically porn, but marketed with a bit of other stuff, you know, how to men's health sort of magazine. And the, the, the editor of Loaded has been, he's taken a step back, he's been, he visited a school, I think in Liverpool, I might be wrong on the location, but in the north of England, but it's the same all over, and he just asked questions, what children's understanding was of sex, and in terms of the words they used, he said, they are using words that I don't even even know, they're using, they are all, they are aware of all sorts of depravity through Smartphones, iPads, right. letting the kids have computers unsupervised. Android, I don't know the difference between an Android and a smartphone. I, pretend, I haven't got a clue. I think Android sounds like a robot, but that's something else. You have to tell me, Steve, what an Android is. I, I've got a, I know what a smartphone is because I've got one, but Android, I just, but I know that you can connect the internet through it. I found out this week you can get kids connect to the internet through smart, um, what's it called, Xbox. Have you heard of Xbox? You can connect to the internet <coughs> through Xbox. So the kids, parents are out of the room, or just, I'm just playing on the, you know. We need to know these things because we have an enemy who would seek to get in. It, it, it's, it's, we need God. The enemy is, you see, seeking to destroy the community of God, so that the promises of God can be thwarted. So here he's saying, I'll draw, for I have known and chosen him in order that he will instruct his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. In order that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Are you saying, Graham, there's a condition to this? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that in order that the Lord would bring about, you've got to give your attention to this. Families, church, elders. Because God wants to, God cares for children. And he cares for the fulfillment of his mission. Because God loves people. God loves people. God loves people on this estate. God loves people in Herne Bay. And this should be a safe place, shouldn't it? Out of everywhere. And the wonderful point is that God knew him for a purpose. Not only that, the outworking of God's promise to Abraham was intrinsically linked to how God, so how Abraham, beg your pardon, instructed his children and led his household. And also, he goes, if you read that again later on today, I do encourage you to read that passage again. You will, you, you, there's two words will come out, righteousness and justice. And I don't think we talk about justice enough in the church. We talk about righteousness, but not a lot about justice. And the particular wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah was not only a matter of sexual immorality, but also their greed and injustice. 
the additional sin, the additional sin of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament in, this, in the book of Ezekiel said, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperities, but did not aid the poor and the needy. I think the food banks thing is great because God cares for the poor and the needy. This is equal 16.49. So when God came down, when the Lord came down in Christ to look at what was happening, he saw there was unrighteousness and injustice as well of all sorts of depravity. And the thing is, now it's a click away, then it was a five mile walk. But now it's, it's really at door. And there's no doubt that Abraham and Sarah had those very words echoing in their ears as they saw Sodom and Gomorrah go up in smoke. And you're seeing families go up in smoke at the moment, metaphorically. You're seeing so communities going up in smoke. Politicians haven't got an answer now. And it's, you know, we know that it's going to get darker, but what we also knew, the church's light is going to get brighter. So people will see the contrast and people will come to the mountain of the Lord in the last days and say, hey, please, can we come with you? Because there's something different about you. There's hope. You have hope. You have joy. You have purpose. Your kids are different. You're, you know, those of you that are married, do marriage different. Those of you that are single, you're staying pure. You're different. What is it about you? That's because we've come to know the God of Abraham. We know that God can have a purpose for us. He can forgive us. He can change us. He puts us on our feet again. He, he heals the brokenhearted. That which has been broken, as you said, Steve, earlier, which is a great comment. God can heal the brokenhearted. He can heal broken families, broken relationships. But make sure, Abraham, in order that these purposes are fulfilled, this is important. And so Beacon, you need to know what your DNA is. I can see it, but you need to know it. But I think it's something to do around family. And when it's not the building, you are not, you know, you will not change DNA just because you've moved from one building to another. It's your DNA here. You love people and you pray. Knowing God on earth is never an end in itself, but must be pursued in the context of serving God in mission, in bringing blessing to the nations. There's a great book um, by Christopher Wright called Knowing God the Father in the Old Testament for those bookheads amongst you. It's a great read. You see, knowing God is missional, not purely devotional. There's, there's a, we're on a mission. My neighbour got baptised in the sea. Yes. Fantastic. And his wife said, I'm just so delighted for him because he's found a community of faith. She's a devout Catholic woman. I really respect that. But she says, my husband's found a community of faith. What a comment. Yeah. We're called on mission. God knows me for mission. It's not just to know him. I'll have plenty of time in heaven to know him more. But he's knowing me now because there's people need what we've got. And they're desperate. 
you just listen when you walk around Herne Bay. It's, I mean, I shouldn't say this, cause, but I can be a bit nosy. And when, I'm, you know, when you're walking behind people on the mobile phones, do you ever listen? Well, you shouldn't have. <laughs> but, I, but do, don't, in, a, in, a, in a godly sense, listen to the heartache. Listen to the questions. People are broken. They're looking for answers. I was listening to behind one lady and she was speaking to a fellow and she says, yeah, but you're going to do, you're going to do nine years in prison and the thing is, you've got, you've got an anger problem. We've got, to walk, we've got to now deal with your anger problem. The gospel's got an answer for that, hasn't it? The gospel's got an answer because Jesus can not only forgive us but change us so we're no longer angry. So, click of the button. It's there, isn't it? It can rob marriages of intimacy, ongoing use of porn. It changes even the way the brain processes things and the chemical pathways. It can lead to paedophilia. Now, I, you shouldn't be talking about this. I need to talk about it because we're having to deal with it in churches because it's been the church. It comes into the church, doesn't it? Because you're dealing with mess. It can open the door to dangerous chat rooms. It can entice men into actual prostitution. It can bring fear and shame. I love that song you sang at the beginning. There's no shame. I thought, where's this song going to? I thought, wow. But then I thought, wow, what a great song. It's great. Because God takes away our shame in forgiveness. There is forgiveness and there's shame. God deals with the shame. But where sin abounds, we know that grace abounds more. And we don't talk enough about the blood of Jesus Christ. Enough. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is not ordinary blood. It's 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 special blood because it was born of a virgin mary and the bible says the blood of jesus christ cleanses from all sin and all unrighteousness and people are popping tablets when they should be presenting themselves before god and say please cleanse me because of the blood of christ because the blood of christ when we apply it to our life in asking in repentance it cleanses our minds it cleanses us. The blood of Christ cleanses from every sin. We should be shouting that from the housetops, church. Because there'll be people, your neighbours, in your road, who are just desperately guilty. Depression is rife now because there are things depressed that have never been dealt with. Never been dealt with. And we should, we should, you know, have a fresh awareness of the blood of Christ. It does cleanse us, not just from all sin, but the unrighteousness that sin causes. This is good news, church. This is the gospel. This is why we really meet. There's hope for us. There is hope for us. No matter how sinful you've been, how many times you've failed, there is, there is grace. And grace is a dynamic thing because it's the grace of God which teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's not the threat of God, it's the grace of God saying you don't need to do that now. You're a child, you're a son, daughter of God. This is good news. 
but people need to look at our lives and to see they're different. There's something about them that's different. Why, why are you different, Abraham? It's because I've taught my children righteousness and justice. And so it comes to the end of this passage where God comes with a promise of new life in the form of a baby. And when I return this next year, um, Sarah, your, your wife will have a son. Now they were told exactly, um, that they were advanced in years and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Um, and I, I love the, the way they, um, it's written here. Am I, after I am worn out and my husband is old, Will I now have pleasure? <laughs> well done, go, go, go. <laughs> She's not thinking about the kids. She's thinking about the pleasure. <laughs> this girl rocks, no. Um, <laughs> I'd love to know how Eugene Peterson, who writes the, the New Testament, called the message in everyday language, how he would have coped with this verse. That would have been fun, Eugene. Perhaps he's not done that on purpose, but I don't know. Um, but there comes a time when you don't want to have sex, not because you have an headache, it's because you can't even got the strength to unscrew the, 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 um, the paracetamol top bottle to cure the headache. <laughs> but God said, you... Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And that camera's worrying me. <laughs> Don't put this on the internet. <laughs> you're going to have a baby in a year's time, or in nine months' time. And church, I- I'm challenging you. If you think, I'm worn out, I'm tired, will I have pleasure now in having spiritual babies? Yeah? Pass it on to this young couple, right? Now, Abraham, God came to Abraham and Isaac and he said, You're going to have a baby. And, I, and Sarah said, Well, I have a pleasure. And, uh, and God challenged her. And he said, um, Yes, you will. And he heard Sarah laugh. And he said, You laughed. And there we get into the pantomime bit. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You'll never win an argument with God, Sarah. It just doesn't work. We, I mean, just as an aside, it's totally irrelevant. It's a funny story. Um, we went to see Joseph and his telecolor dream coat with the kids last week. We took our three grandkids. Now, we've, we love feeding our grandkids with lots of sugar and sending them back afterwards. <laughs> we're, we're in the gods at the back. I mean, the rows are so narrow there at the, the Marlowe Theatre. We made the mistake of they wanted to drink, but we gave them a big bottle each of pop, stupid, 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 who forgot that they are small bladders they've got. So after 10 minutes, kind of go to the loo, and we're in the middle row, and we have to, Archie, all air, and there's people, person next to us have been baptised in lemon juice. He was so miserable. <laughs> and after, after the third time, I said to Sue, just let me use the bottle, you know. It's a <laughs> <laughs> but the beautiful thing about that story is that at the end, you know, Joseph and his telecoms, in, in the, you know, it's, it's a bit like that in the, the production. So, um, uh, but there was a wonderful picture of um, the guy from Steps, whatever his name is. He's got this um, coat, the technical dream coat, and he pulls it out. All different colours. I'm thinking, 
That's a prophetic picture of how the church should be. Multicultural church. Jesus died for a church of many colours. Because Joseph was a prophetic type of Jesus. I don't know whether you know that, but he was. And uh, I want to say, church, don't, don't settle for anything less. Jesus shed his blood for a multicultural church. You learn to do multicultural and you'll touch the heart of God. So, note this, church. Even though she'd laughed, it still was fulfilled. Have you ever noticed that there's a verse at the end of Matthew where Jesus calls the 12, the disciples, and he says, now, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it says, and some doubted. Hold on a minute. You've walked with Jesus. You've seen him die. You've seen him resurrected. You've now seen him floating in the air. And he's saying, and some doubted. I mean, what do you need to believe that God is with you? And, and church, you've transitioned. There's a transition, huge transition taking place, changing from the building where you were to here because he's putting you on a mission or footing like never before. It's obvious. It's obvious. Get stuck in. Because is anything too difficult for God? No. No, it's not too difficult for God. But how do I do it? Well, we walk in integrity. We look after our household, look after our children. And we show generosity, entertain the stranger. Outrageous generosity. There's one church in Ashford, it's a lovely story. Um, it, on, on one particular state, whenever a new baby's born, that church provides food for the family for a week. It's getting known as a church that serves. I think it's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Wow. You could start with a pie. You know, lovely cook. People don't know how to cook now, do they? I mean, on the whole, mums are, don't do cooking how they used to. But this lovely church is doing that. It's a lovely story. And I want to tell you something absolutely scarily profound now. The God that you worship and the God that called you here is the same God that Abraham had supper with. And he did it for a couple, giving them new birth when they were in their hundreds. Because nothing is too difficult for God. Don't, you see, you can pass the baton on, but don't pass the book on. And every person in this room who knows Jesus Christ however strong or weak your faith is, doubts included, you are called to be on mission for him in this church. And it can be the most simple, profound thing you can do. You can't even get out to the shops, but you could write a card and stick a stamp on it and say, thank you, well done, or can, you know, I'm praying for you. And you see here, just in closing now, it ends with intercession. So Abraham, God was get up. To, God got up. Um, the Lord got up to go, and Abraham got up with him, and he walked with him, and he starts engaging in prayer for Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And church, I will know, but God will know more importantly, that your your heart for mission, if it's not rooted in prayer, it will be half-hearted. And so what a joy to hear today. You're praying tonight. We at Gateway, we've just had our first 24 hours of prayer. We, it's the first time we've done it after 10, 11 years. We do pray, don't get me wrong, but it's the first time we've done it 24 hours of prayer. We're a bit nervous, you know, people sign up for an hour's prayer. I'm not saying you do this, please, I'm not, please. Um, I, I'm just saying it's taken us 11 years. But um, people prayed all through the night. One lady, sort of two or three, three each, each hour, one lady got up at midnight, she said to her husband, I'm sorry, I've got to go back down and pray again. And her husband drove her back down, I think, and dropped her off. And she stopped another two hours praying. People were praying for two and three hours at a time. And to a person, they said this, the hour went so quickly we could not believe it. We had a room and we put all sorts of things up on praying for the community, praying for the church, praying for nations, praying to, we actually even prayed to learn how to pray. <laughs> Good prayer. Jesus said, um, the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, and he did. So we're asking the Lord, teach us how to pray. And it may be that's something that you can do at the Beacon Centre one afternoon, you know, or stretch it. But here you see Abraham, God allowed him to do this. This wasn't a cultural bartering thing. If it was a cultural bartering thing, Abraham would have said, well, if there's, if there's 50 righteous people, why don't you save it? God would have said, well, um, okay, well, I'll do 75. <laughs> so it's not a, this wasn't a cultural thing. This was God engaging Abraham in friendship prayer to carry on the mission of God. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So I want to commend you as a church. I want to point you back to the fact that God is your father but also your friend in Christ. He's calling you to be aware of just how close Sodom and Gomorrah is. It's a click away. And it's affecting society around us. And I want to remind you, as God reminded Abraham, that in order that the prophetic call promises to, to be a, 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 mission to, a mission for the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Look after your children. Look after your household. Let's get up to speed, church. We're living in the 21st century with an eternal gospel that still transforms lives. So let's just pray. Lord, I I, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us. So as that song says, you're no longer angry with us, Lord. There's no more shame. And I pray for this church. I pray that it would be a magnificent church in loving, praying, demonstrating that it's, there's, there's a different way to live that brings joy, peace, relaxation, ease, rest. And Lord, that people can have their own personal, living, ongoing relationship with God. I pray for it, Lord. Holy Spirit, please help them as they unpack this in the coming week. That it would not just be, would not be words fallen on sand, um, sandy ground saying, well, that was a nice word. But Lord, I pray that this will have impartational power 
to transform, to keep, and to keep focused in your name. Amen.